Annyeong SAO. Welcome to Afternoon of Delight, where Leah, Megan, and Amy, three American romance novelists discussing all things K-romance from a writer's lens. We fangirl over our favorite actors and actresses, talk up our trope addictions, and nerd out on K-drama deep dives. We'll throw in a few K-pop and K-skincare wrecks for good measure, because why not ride the haul you wave all the way to shore? So grab some duck bokeh and listen to your new favorite unease. Hey, everybody. <laughs> hi there. <laughs> I said, I said you're hi there. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> you're both so Midwest today. polite. Like you go, you say hello. No, you say mm-hmm. hello. No, you say hello. We're, we're both like staring at the screen too. I'm like, is she going to go? She's going to go. She usually goes second. Is she going to go? She didn't go. Oh my gosh. We're that routined with each other. So today is a very mm-hmm. special day in afternoon land because today is the birthday of our maknae, Megan. Yay! Yay! Happy birthday to you. <laughs> to you. Happy birthday, birthday to, to you. you. Happy birthday, birthday, dear dear Megan. Megan. We're totally delayed. Happy Happy birthday birthday to to you. (laughs) I think I'm editing this one. Thank God, because that will be. I'm gonna put like some like totally like grab something off of YouTube, like a great harmony or something like that. Are you gonna like like, that's us? That's no. I love it. No, I like the. I'm gonna auto tune the off note. That was lovely. Thank you very much. It was a very nice day. I went to lunch with my mom, and then we went to this cute little boutique downtown, and I'm still, I'm I'm 39, but I still will not turn away from, you know, my mom oh, buying never. me clothes. <laughs> so she bought me this, like, cute little denim jacket, and yeah, it was just, it was just a good day. And my birthday, I, I don't really wear expensive jewelry at all. In fact, I don't even wear my engagement ring a lot. I just wear my gold wedding band that cost $40 back when we bought it. And I'm pretty proud of that. So yeah, I don't, I don't ask for like anything every single year. I just ask my husband for macarons. That's and it. You got them. Yeah. And so I got, he got me a dozen of them and they are so good from like this local bakery and I'm happy. So it's been, it's a good day. And actually I was like, cause Leah was like, we can move recording uh, and not record on Wednesday. I'm like, no, that's a great birthday. It's a great way to end a birthday is to record with you oh, guys. So you are getting a happy ending. <laughs> Yeah, I, <laughs> this is we're giving you the happy ending you deserve. Yeah, and I guess my birthday was good luck for Leah today. It was so as the resident edger of the group, I got to really like. <laughs> so today, BTS tickets went on sale for Permission to Dance Las Vegas, and let's just say I knew BTS was going to be touring, but I was kind of picturing like world tour. And so I'd been like prepping, like it's coming. It's just coming in a while. And it's a really emotional experience to be ARMY. Like there's a lot of content daily to process that's just coming out from the boys. And it's a lot to like experience. And so, you know, they're like souls coming. And it was like, okay, great. I'll like see soul in the theater. And then it was like, and boom, we're going to be here for the Grammys. So we might as well flex super hard while we're here for the Grammys and fucking like go to town, have four shows in Las Vegas and then rent out where the Grammys are and just like let people watch our concerts on a big theater screen. <laughs> and so they're just like showing up to like flex hard in Las Vegas. <laughs> I have an army membership and I'm like, am I proud? Am I not proud? I don't know. I have mixed feelings. <laughs> Like I have, you should be, you should be very proud. I have a card with my name on it. So I was able to register for the advanced pre-sale. I've made some friends, some very dear friends through this podcast, an Afternoona Army squad. And so we made some strategies. Shout out to Tanya. I felt like I went off and like hunted a proverbial water buffalo with her today and like brought the good back (laughs) for the good of the fan, like our lady fans. (laughs) And uh, yeah, we we got tickets. We got tickets for two nights, some good seats. Like, I want to, you know, I want Sugar holding me in a chokehold. It's going to be good. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. I really hope that happens. Yeah, me too. Okay, so (laughs) speaking of what else has us in a chokehold, we are still not done with Reply 1988, which is a wonderful, wonderful beast of a drama 
that, you know, at 20 episodes long and how like almost two hours an episode really is an investment in time. So we did uh, begin our podcast doing Reply a couple of weeks ago, took a break because that was our prerogative to do Love and Leashes, Singles Inferno. And now we're back because one thing that does come up in Reply 1988 is the idea that, you know, there's some very specific things that I think if you grew up in South Korea or especially grew up during like the 80s in South Korea, you're going to get like inside jokes and references and things that are coming up. And some of those things just leave us as Western viewers confused. And so we decided to do an I Have Questions episode. We haven't done an I Have Questions episode since I think early fall. So we decided to each identify a couple of questions that were really just burning within us and do a little bit of research. And hopefully these are questions that you all have had too, and they can provide some illumination and help deepen your enjoyment of this drama. So who would like to go first with a question? I'll start. Let's talk about, because I watched this on Netflix. And one thing that we talked about while we were watching this, we, we all watch it at different times, but all the replies are on Netflix right now. And there is a lot of blurring out of stuff that's on the television within the drama. And I know we've seen blurring in dramas before, so I'm going to touch on like blurring in general and then touch on basically there's no, like I did some research and there's no definitive here's why they blur it out, but it is a pretty logical, practical reason why they blur stuff out that's on the TV screen. So I'll just kind of dive into this. So according to Koreaboo, koreaboo.com, So Korean television does its own censorship, and then we'll talk about the Netflix censorship. So Korean television censorship has four major targets. Weapons, cigarettes, tattoos, and brands. Much of the reason, according to the article, is based on trying to make the media as family-friendly as possible, especially if the drama in question is not something that is all about murdering and cannibalism like, say, Strangers from Hell. But the brand censorship can go two ways. First, it might be a licensing issue that if the drama broadcasts something the production company doesn't own, they could get sued. The flip side is the possibility of not wanting to give out free advertising to brands that are not, you know, giving the production company any money. So this last censorship item is what makes the most sense to me in Reply 1988 as far as its Netflix blurring of what's on television. On Netflix, TV images are blurred, and according to some viewers on Reddit, because yes, I had to dive into a Reddit rabbit hole for this, some of the original soundtrack is even changed. If Netflix doesn't want to pay for the media portrayed within the media, basically the television screens, what's on the screens, or the music that's playing, then they can just blur it. If they don't want to license all the music on the OST, then I guess change it? So this is all pretty fascinating to me if it's true that a production outlet in order to purchase the rights to media in another country would have to purchase not just the rights to the drama, but the rights to the media within the drama. The same I'm sure goes for covers of the romance novels everyone reads in the drama. Someone on Reddit did make a funny comment referring not even to this drama, but to Goblin. Um, that in Goblin, we get to see a Goryeo soldier run through with a giant sword and blood pouring from his mouth, but that later in modern times when there's a bad guy who brandishes a knife, they blur the knife. (laughs) So to me, it makes sense. Like I'm guessing that weapons and historicals are fine because they are a sign of the times, but that the blurring happens when showing them in contemporary scenes so as not to insinuate that modern times are unsafe, maybe. I don't know. But yeah, I thought this was all pretty interesting. Because we've seen the blurring before, but I didn't think about the fact that I was watching the drama on Netflix and that there might be licensing issues with Netflix showing a drama that they bought from another country because there are people in our Patreon that were talking about this, that were talking about, well, I watched it on such and such network and it wasn't blurred. So it's not like, it's not like Korea blurred those things. Yeah. Netflix did. It's blurred on Vicky too. It's blurred on Vicky too. Oh, that's, Uh. I don't want... Netflix to see me. So it's not Netflix, it's Schmetflix. But like, yeah, I it makes sense, right? Like that if if one production outlet, so maybe Vicky, you know, it didn't initially air on Vicky. So Vicky is buying rights to it from where it init- the network it initially aired on. There may be some licensing issues there as well. And it's a matter of, you know, can I pay less for this if I do this kind of thing? Right. It's like confusing media red tape, basically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which, that actually makes more sense. I kind of get that. Because not only, yeah, you're you're watching Reply 1988, but then there was, like, other media 
And if you didn't buy the rights to show, you know, I don't know, the 1988 Olympics or right. whatever. Well, yeah. You know. Right. Like, who do I owe if I'm going to broadcast the yeah. 1988 Olympics? Or who do I owe if I'm going to broadcast the debut of this, you know, Korean pop star from the 80s? Oh, gosh. Yeah. When they're not okay. going to get residuals from it. Right. Unless, yeah. That actually makes more sense. Yeah. That does. That does. And you know what? I mean, that means they're doing it right. I mean, it sucks that they blur it out. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I'm not like blame. I'm not blaming them. I'm just saying, like, right, this right, is right. what this this makes logical sense to me. It does. I actually understand it a little bit more better now. So I appreciate you looking that up. Hey, no problem. My pleasure. <laughs> so, Megan, any questions? Okay. So I had a question about bananas. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of my questions revolved around food, which probably is not surprising. So there are many scenes in Reply 1988 that treat bananas as very precious. I mean, there was even Sungwoo sharing one banana with with his sister. And mom. It was three all three of them. Oh yeah, one they, banana. I think they cut it they cut it into thirds, right? So yeah, they really treat it as precious, you know, almost a delicacy. And as someone who often needs to make like banana bread in order not to waste brown bananas, I was very curious on the banana situation in Korea in 1988. And and obviously I know that's not the situation in, in Korea now, which I'll get to. So this information is from a 2016 article in Asia Today. So the price of a banana in 1988 was around 2,000 won. I did a little research, okay, bear with me, on inflation. And 2,000 won in 1988 is equal to more than 6,000 won today, which is about $5. For one banana? For one banana. For one banana. So at the time, it was like over a dollar, which actually over a dollar for one banana is still a lot. But I tried to like give it context. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Okay, believe it or not, like we buy bananas all the time. Actually, my husband, we actually don't have that many brown bananas because my husband eats like a lot of bananas. So I actually, but I never look at the price because it's like bananas, do you know what I mean? So I never really looked. So I actually had to ask my husband. And he said they're typically like 49 cents a pound, which is, you know, pretty, pretty cheap. So anyways, I mean, so hell yeah, like $5 for one banana? I wouldn't pay that. My grocery store often has like bananas sitting out that they're like, if you're a kid under six, you can take it for free. So anyway, at the time, the price of one bunch of 17 bananas, which seemed like a lot, but so I'm not really sure how. 17 they're... is a lot of bananas. To right. So I'm not sure how like their bunches <laughs> works, but that's what the article said, unless it was like a misprint. But anyway, the price of one bunch of 17 bananas was 34,000 won. If I did my math right, which, you know, is a little questionable, that would be equal to about $100 today. $100 for freaking bananas. So to put it into perspective, now this is from the article. It would have been less expensive to take a flight from Seoul to Busan, eat beef, take the bus to Hyundai, buy two bottles of beer and a pack of cigarettes. All of that, and you'd still have 1,141 of the 35,000 won left over. Okay? That's how expensive bananas were. <laughs> And so this is why. This is actually kind of, I actually found this kind of interesting. So why were bananas so expensive back then? Well, because there was a shortage. I mean, you know, supply and demand. In 1988, bananas were imported from the Philippines and Taiwan and were cultivated in like small quantities on Jeju Island. It was even said that, you know, three boxes of bananas were enough to pay for a college tuition. Wow. So the reason for the low banana imports was because of a trade policy at the time between the Philippines and Korea. They had what was called an initiative trade, which is meant to equalize exports and imports between the two countries. And since the Philippines didn't import a whole lot of Korean products, Korea could not just like bring in as many bananas from the Philippines as they wanted. So they were essentially limited to how many they could bring in. So in 1991, there was a new international trade agreement, which like... Look, no one really wants to like hear the nitty gritty about it, I don't think. So I won't get into it. But basically, that lifted the banana import restrictions. Tons of bananas were imported and the prices plummeted. And now bananas are, you know, not $100 for a bunch in Korea. So anyway, so it makes sense why they were treated as so precious in 1988, because that is bananas. <laughs> Oh my, how long were you waiting for that? Like in your, in your actually, head, are you like, I get to say bananas? No, it actually just came to me. So I'm really, I'm really proud of myself. That was, that was like, A plus dad joking. Seriously. Right? Total, total dad joke. Okay. So a question I had was, 
I don't know if it was a question. I was just curious. So we see the opening of Reply 1988 is really tied in with the Seoul Olympics, which I mentioned in the last podcast, I have enough memory about. I think it's the first Olympics I have like any memory about is the Seoul Olympics. But we really have a lot of grounding there. And so I had some questions with why the showrunners might have chosen the Seoul Olympics as the catalyst and maybe even decided in some ways to ground the entire drama in 1988 to be able to kick off with the Seoul Olympics. And so in 1988, it was a time when the world, I think, was looking at this small war-torn nation to see if it could demonstrate its ability to transform from this geopolitical proxy war zone that had been occupied for the first half of the 20th century, or not the first half, but, you know, the first good chunk of the 20th century, and then was completely devastated by war only 35 years before. And the big question, I think, on a lot of folks' mind from what I was able to see in newspaper articles and things like that was this idea of, is South Korea really, is it really ready to transform into a modern player ready to take its rapid modernization that was happening with that whole idea of the miracle in the Han River to scale and open up to international cooperation. So the Seoul Olympics were held from September 17th to October 2nd, and they were the second Olympics ever held in Asia, the first being Japan. Um, So the first actually in mainland Asia. And they were also the first Olympics to ever be held by a developing country, which is what South Korea was considered at the time. So dictator Chun Doo-hwan submitted Korea's bid to the IOC in September 1981. And a big part of his reason for doing that was to help bring legitimacy to his authoritarian regime amidst increasing political pressure for democratization and to provide protection from increasing threats from North Korea and showcase Korean economic might. And again, the miracle of the Han River to the world. So the theme of the Seoul Olympics was harmony and progress. And the games were really viewed as this transformational event in many ways, because they did truly open the country up to increased international relations, as well as developed critical infrastructure in Seoul and strengthened overall national pride. And just touching on that idea of increasing international relations, it also precipitated diplomatic recognition of the South by countries in the socialist bloc. So really, you know, Russia, China, countries like that starting to view South Korea as its own entity. And all of this kind of helps make a lot of sense to me why Reply 1988 chose to kick off with the Seoul Summer Olympics as the primary external national event, because I feel like it signals that the young people of the drama are coming of age in this period of transformation. And we see Duck Sun, the drama lead, gearing up to participate in the introduction parade of the countries and represent the country Madagascar. And Madagascar was probably a pretty intentional choice too, because we see her dreams dashed when Madagascar pulls out of the games because they did not want to participate unless North Korea, one of its allies, could also be co-host of the games. So, you know, we see some like geopolitical jockeying taking place. And as a result, our young heroine, you know, is unsure if she can even hold her sign. And lucky for her, Uganda had a sign spot open up. So she was able to walk with pride, still representing her country. But again, I feel like it just makes a lot of sense why this was the time that they chose to set an 80s era nostalgic piece, I think, because it really is, you're seeing the country kind of just on the cusp of becoming the country that we recognize as South Korea very much today, I think, when the average, you know, Westerner thinks of the country. Yeah, that's really cool. I love the history of it. Because, of course, my, you know, when I'm watching it, I don't appreciate this because I don't get it. And that's, you know, not even just like lost in translation, but lost in, right, like our Western view. So I love that you looked that up. So thank you. Yeah. And I think it's interesting, too, because like to me, 1988 doesn't seem that long ago. And I have to remember that 1988 in South Korea was there was a lot going on. I mean, in a way, they're a new country in the form they are now. Do you know what I mean? So I have to I have to think about that. Like, uh, that would be like America holding and Olympics in like, I don't know. 1776. As dictators, like as politics are rapidly shifting. Right. And right. really, I think the other thing too, is just when you think about the idea of the Korean War, really like, I think that's what strikes me too, is 35 years before, there's a massive proxy war 
in their home country. The country's divided as a result of it. And then here we see 35 years later, this rapid shift forward. I mean, we're all older than 35. So what? longer than you know any of us have now been alive, <laughs> including our Mac name, Megan. <laughs> it's just, yeah, it's bananas. And I think that that is something, again, that as I get older too, I feel as if you can see that time it's cliche, but time does move quickly. And when I was little, things that felt like ancient history were not even close to ancient history. They'd only just happened, but they felt yep. so long ago. So true. All right. Well, I think it's a good time to dive in with some cultural references that I had some questions on. Actually, the first part of it isn't really a question. It's more of a, oh my gosh, what did I miss? And I found this out while I was researching something else. So in the what did I miss category, Reply 1988 is rife with pop culture references from 80s television stars to idols. One such television star is Lee Mi Yun, an 80s and 90s star some of our male teen heroes admire on TV in one of her earliest roles. This is one of the things they're watching and they're talking about Lee Mi Yun and how beautiful she is. And what I missed was... Lee Mian is who plays present day adult Duck Sun. Oh my gosh! <laughs> and see, if you're a Korean, you probably oh, got that. Like, you got the. Yeah, and for us, we're like, oh my god! Yeah, I feel like an idiot. I had no idea, so that's really. I had no idea, and that's so cool, and I'm glad you found that out. So, yeah. So, I was looking up some culture references because I really wanted to know about. Korean study cafes or st the study rooms that they're at until like one, two in the morning. The never sleep. The never, never sleep. sleep study rooms. Yes. <laughs> and like, and before I even get into the never sleep study rooms, I had to Google based on my curiosity how many days a week students go to school in South Korea because so often our characters were getting on a, on buses at Saturday morning to go to school. And I'm like, do they just do extra Saturday school? But no, sure enough, in the 80s, school in South Korea was Monday through Saturday. Oh, my gosh. It's now Monday through Friday. But wow, it makes me want to bite my tongue when I complain about how short my week yeah. feels. But now let's get to the late night studying and our heroes and heroine often heading home after midnight. Enter Korean study cafes. Cross between a library study room and a coffee shop. In a study cafe, food is allowed, which many libraries do not, although libraries, I think, in my area are getting a little bit more lax with that. But food is allowed and is often very cheap since you often pay a small fee to rent the desk or the space in the study cafe. So there might be like really cheap like snack foods and drinks and stuff like that. They're not like, you know, we're not getting like Starbucks type beverages and stuff. And study cafes are open later than libraries, some even 24 hours. Study cafes tend to have multiple types of studying setups, from individual study carrels to tables for small groups, or even more like comfortable couch type seating with coffee tables to have a more relaxed setting, all aimed to cater to South Korea's study culture. Some even allow you to rent out your desk space for a week or a month at a time so that you can leave stuff there and no one else can use it. So that was really kind of fascinating to me because, first of all, like the... I. I pulled all-nighters in college, yes, like all the time. But that was because I was a procrastinator, not because I was a good studier. You know, I was, I've always been a writer at heart, and if I had a paper due for my, you know, British literature class tomorrow, I'm writing it tonight, my eight-page paper. And that was just my thing. But I was not pulling all-nighter study sessions unless I had like an exam the next day. And so our uh, teens in Reply 1988 were very studious, or at least Duck Sun tried to be. She went to the study cafes. She wasn't really doing what she was supposed to be doing there, but, you know. <laughs> she and Dong Real like to sleep a lot. Right. Oh, my God. <laughs> when he's sleeping, like, on the floor, under the chairs and stuff <laughs> like that. The only time they showed him studying was when he studied his hemorrhoids. <laughs> That's the only time <laughs> <laughs> That's the only time he actually it's the only time he actually studied his home remedies. Yeah, so I was just I was really intrigued with this because we don't have anything like that here. Like we have we have curfews, like teens aren't allowed to be out, you know, after I think it's like ten thirty or something like that. I mean they always are, but like if you get pulled over and you're out past curfew, you can get a ticket. And I guarantee you, like I I get notifications because I'm on my kids like classroom management system. So I get emails from their teachers like whenever they have a quiz. Like I just get the same emails they get. And I saw that like Sydney had a math quiz today. I'm like, do you have a math quiz tomorrow? She's like, yeah. You know, <laughs> like last night, like we just, we don't, I shouldn't say we as a whole society, but like we in my family and we as in, you know, my peer group growing up, yes, it was important to us to get into good colleges and stuff like that. But 
studying was never part of our culture like it is for the characters in Reply 1988. And, and it really is part of South Korean culture, which is proven so with these study cafes that I think are really convenient if you need to go to a place that is not your home and be able to sort of focus and stuff like that and eat cheap snacks. Because we know Megan needs I do. Snacks. I always need my cheesy crackers. Yeah, I found it. I mean, I think what I've always found interesting was they're like, just study. And I'm kind of like, what are you studying? Like, are you studying for a test? Like, I just feel like... <laughs> I feel yes. like the culture right. here I know. is you're studying for a very specific thing. So you're studying for a test or you're writing a paper that's due like the next day. But I I, I don't know many people who are just like, I'm going to go study. Right. Like, like I, I just, I, I feel like. That's what I'm saying. It's not our, it's not part of our way. Yeah. Yeah. Unless you're like, I don't know, man. Or you're like, you really love your subject that much. I, I just have never, I've never, usually you're always studying for something. But this is. My wag of the finger, I think, and like in what we do have for education as well. And look, I hear what you're saying and there's some fair points there too. And then to kind of wag the finger back at us is I do feel as if there is a lot of reward for students who understand how the game is played. So you do, you study, oh, you yeah. study for the test. You, mm-hmm. you, you basically are aiming for that gold star every time you do 100%. your assignment. But are you learning critical thinking? No. Are you learning anything like that? No, because they come and see me at university and I'm like, oh, good Jesus. No, that's, I mean, our, I mean, like the way that our grading system is now in my particular district for, for middle school and high schooler, it's 80-20, meaning your homework and practice is only worth 20% of your grades and your tests are worth 80. So the good test takers are rewarded and the kids who just- You were a good test taker, Megan? Do the work. Yeah. And so was I, but the kids who just, and the kids who, and, and they also, they're not penalized. If you don't do your homework, you're like, what? So that- shaves like a half a percentage off my grade. Like it doesn't do anything as long as you get an A on that test where you have the kids who struggle at test taking, Mm -hmm. but are really good at studying, Mm -hmm. you know, the material for a prolonged period of time and they don't get the reward for the practice. Oh, hundred percent. I was a really good test taker. Very good. And, uh, like I got great grades and, but I'm like, I am not smart. Like, I mean, I'm not like dumb, but I am trusting like (laughs) Dumb. (laughs) dumb, but like guys, I am just a good test taker. And I always, like, my brother kind of got, like, average gates. My brother is smarter than me. Uh, he just wasn't a good test taker. And I actually, I don't even think Neil was a good test taker, but, like, I think he's one of the smartest people I, I know. But, I, like, I graduated with, with a much better GPA than him because I'm just a good test taker. But I don't think, there are so many things I have not retained because I don't think yeah. I was really taught oh, how to same. properly. Yeah. I was I brag all the time about, not having had a math class since high school because I took AP calculus and I took the AP test and that passed me out of math in college. If you were to put the AP calculus test in front of me right yeah. now, and I went to study sessions at my teacher's house because this was before that was like illegal. Oh, wow. <laughs> to yeah. like be in your, in your teacher's <laughs> home. Like we, she held study groups at her house like for like the week before the AP test. And like I did well enough on the test to pass out of math in college but if you put an AP calculus test in front of me right now and said, if you cannot get one of these right, you will die. I would die. I would Same. die. Same. I retain nothing. Same. Nothing. But I learned how to take the so test. So maybe what it is is that it looks to me from an outside observer that there was a, there's a lot of um, emphasis on rote memorization that was happening yes. in um, – the Korean education system. And then for us, it's a lot of curated to like chomp off and look as if you excelled in something without that retention. And Mm so you can take like ACT classes and SAT classes that don't teach you the content. They teach you how to take the Mm -hmm. test. Yeah. I mean, I know that was always a big thing. Like, like, are we teaching to the test or are we teaching to like, actually like we teach to the test. Yeah. We teach the test. We do. So yeah, I'm not, I'm not wagging the finger at South Korea. It's just interesting to me that they have this study culture that we don't right. and like we're pointing out why we don't right and i think <laughs> neither seems neither seems aspirational to me in terms of what i still really come back to the fact that i do think i'm not like an unschooler although maybe more <laughs> but i like the idea of i really just value so much critical thought and good communication skills and some of these soft skills that I think get left by the wayside that I think are just the actual skills that everyone needs if they're going to probably have the best chance of living their best lives. Yeah, I agree. Wow. We got off on like some philosophical debates. I know. Some listeners are going to be at home like, no, 
no, no, no. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> so just just disagree, we're, not, yeah, we're not making the call on what education should no, be. No, we're. Yeah. I, let, let me just tell you that as somebody who works in education, yeah. it is a broken yeah. system. I think like, it's. I think we're I, just pointing I'm out. Very well aware of that. I think yeah. Very well aware. Yeah, of and that. I think more we're just pointing out that there's a difference. Like there's a marked difference yeah. for us. But you know what? There's going to be a marked difference from how we studied and how the kids study today too. You know what I mean? Oh, a hundred percent. If you enjoy our podcast, you have our patrons to thank, at least in part. Afternoon of Delight Patreon allows us to keep creating content for y'all to enjoy. Thank you so much to everyone who is supporting us there. And not to brag, but our Patreon community is pretty awesome. And you can join at a tier that feels good to you. Gain access to fun perks like K-drama posts, monthly Patreon-only bonus podcasts, and even a live K-drama support group on Zoom. Because we know firsthand what it's like to have no one to talk to about those crazy plot twists, amazing characters, and all those feelings. And look, no one should have to walk that walk alone. So learn more by visiting AfternoonAdelight.com. That's www.AfternoonAdelight.com. And hey, while you're on the website, you can check out Afternoon Delight podcast merch, find links to book recommendations, bop along to our K-pop recs, blow up your skin with K-merch recs, find all of our social media and a link to our email so you can send us recommendations or feedback. And hey, while you're at it, why don't you pop over to Spotify or Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review? It really helps with our discoverability. Gamsamnida. So, okay, I'm back on food, except this time it's water. One thing we noticed, and I'm sure many of you did if you watch Reply 1988, is that the water the characters drink is not is not clear. So the word for water is pretty distinguishable. And the Romanized version, um, when I looked it up, was, was like mole. To me, uh, my to my Western ear, when they say it, it kind of sounds more like bull. But I think it's just I don't say that consonant correctly. So, but but my point is, it's very recognizable to me when they say, you know, would you like water? And they use the the term for water, and then they they pour the water, and it's got you know like a brown tint to it. So yeah, so we kind of wanted to know you know what the situation was. So I did some research, and I also watched a few YouTube videos as well from like obviously you know, Koreans who know what they're talking about. So basically, especially in 1988, and still now to a degree, tap water was not commonly consumed in Korea. Part of that is they didn't necessarily like trust it at the time. So residents would boil the water and then make make a tea with it, often like a barley tea. And but they were they referred to it as water. That's how that's how they called it. Um, It's translated as water. And, you know, like I said, I watched a a few YouTube videos and they they said, like, even now, if you order water in a restaurant, that's what they're going to bring you. They're going to bring you a jug of this, like, essentially like barley tea. So I thought that was interesting. And I kind of want to try it now. (laughs) I mean, that was like one of the things that when I first started watching it and I went to Slack and I'm like, is the subtitle not translating right, or is there water? Is water brown? Right, and that, that's like, for me too. I'm like, are you know what is it? Is it a translation thing? But I'm like, no, I can hear them saying the word, you know, for water. Like I, I recognize the word. That's what they're calling it. And that that that's yes, they will call it water. The translation is correct. It's just you know what's funny. I've watched Reply twice the entire drama, and I have never noticed the water one time. Really? <laughs> no. <laughs> I mean, that's okay. It was like immediate for me. I'm like, every time they say water, they pour something brown. Yeah, I'm like, I just wanted to know what it was. Like, again, I thought it was a translation thing. So I just thought that Netflix was just translating it to water because, I don't know, maybe there wasn't a direct translation for whatever brown-tinted drink they're drinking. But no, it's like like a tea. And Leah's like, just, she's like, I drink brown water. It's like, (laughs) I I honestly, (laughs) look, it's sometimes I worry that I'm just not the most observant person and this is par for the course all right well i'll tell you something i did notice i did notice that we see a lot of student protesting happening in reply 1988 to the point that we see the father dong il lock bora up in her bedroom and refuse her food and water until she promises to give up on that student protest life which she's a stubborn stubborn lady and i give her all the props and she was willing to raisin herself in that bedroom because she wasn't going to give it up And something that I saw online that raised some good parallels was when the dad chose to do this, this is a side note before I get into the protests, 
it actually kind of is akin to the agents who were at the same time locking up student protesters in order to prevent that spread of democracy. And he's doing it under the guise that, you know, she is a potential professional in the family. He also, I'm sure, has experienced quite a lot of trauma given his own age and what he's come through. But there is kind of like this irony in the parallel that as the nation's, you know, law enforcement are unfairly treating protesters with the idea that that was what was best for the nation, so does the dad as well, even though he's this beloved, lovable man who's trying to do the best for his family. So I just want to make that as an aside because I thought it was an interesting parallel. But during this time, Demonstrations were forcing the ruling government to hold elections and institute other democratic reforms, which it le led to the present day government of South Korea. So prior to the Olympics and, you know, kind of more in like the 87s, we had a massive upheaval that happened and shifted the political dynamic. And so we're now seeing in 88, I believe, the students demanding the arrest of the former dictator, Chun Doo-hwan, and clashing with riot policemen in very violent street protests. It looks as if, you know, there were sometimes up to 20,000 students from over 80 colleges taking part in rallies or street protests in Seoul and then also a number of provincial cities. And they all had a common complaint, which is accusing the former dictator of corruption and human rights violations, and rightly so. You know, students would get arrested, they would get injured. They would get cuts, they would get burns, there was tear gas, all the things we were seeing in the drama happening. And you would often see them out just saying, arrest Chan Du Huan, but also punishing the, the current leader of the time, Rote Wu. And Mr. Ro was being criticized during that period as well, apparently, for being slow to investigate corruption charges against his predecessor. So the former president was being investigated over his role in putting down a very well-known civil uprising in Gwangju in 1980, where at least 200 young people died in a military crackdown. So again, this was just... What Bora was doing was really exactly what she developmentally should have been doing at that time, which is she is seeing a better possible future, uh, more democratic future. And, you know, she and the her fellow students have kind of come of age at a time where they're they're not asking, they're demanding to have those rights put in place. And I can also sympathize to some degree parents being afraid of their children's safety, what that could mean having grown up during very authoritarian times of not knowing what the state could do if your child ends up inside of the state. And so, you know, seeing that clash kind of playing out within the family, even to the degree it did, which I mean, it, it went pretty, it was a pretty big part of the plot. I don't think it was like the whole point of the drama, but I felt like it really like ran through a couple of episodes. I think it made a lot of sense. And again, kind of added to some of those nuances of the times. Because say, I thought it really fit Bora's character as well. It made sense to me that that is what she would do. And I really loved her, by the way. Yeah, I loved the growth of her character. And this was a huge part of it. And I really enjoyed that. So I appreciate the background. Yeah, thank all you. That. There was one other little cultural thing that I wanted to bring up. And I don't want to give a huge spoiler. But this is something towards the end of the drama. So if you don't want me to give any hints to you about the ending of Reply 1988, then cover your ears for the next 45 seconds or so. So at the end of Reply 1988, there are two characters who want to get married, but their families protest because they have the same last name. I had no idea why this was an issue. I did not know the history of this, and I brought it up to Leah and Megan, and Leah did know a little bit more about it, and so I decided that was something that I wanted to touch on since it was new to me, and so I did a little bit of research. So same name marriages. I was thrown by this and I wanted to know more. According to a New York Times article from 1996, that's right, there are articles online from 1996, way, way back when yours truly graduated from college. <laughs> Do the math, people. Now you know how old I am. So when it was still illegal to marry someone with the same last name, a court actually overruled this in 1997. So this is from the article. For centuries, South Korea has had a law barring couples with the same name and the same ancestral village from marrying. Although this was probably originally conceived as a way of preventing incest, it has developed into a strong ostracism of same clan marriages. 
Separately, there is a law against incest that prevents marriages between relatives up to third cousins, but for purists, that is not enough. So according to folklore, and this is still all according to the article, according to folklore, the practice was brought over from China early in the 14th century after a Korean messenger named Lee visited China. His Chinese host asked him his wife's name, and upon hearing that it was also Lee, the Chinese supposedly replied, Ah, you're not an aristocrat, you're a commoner. When the messenger returned, he relayed the story to the Korean emperor, who immediately declared a ban against same-clan marriages. So surnames alone can also be deceptive. For some people named her or Lee, whose origins are from the city of Incheon, may also be from the same family clan as Kim. And many people surnamed Cha and Yu are from the same clan and trace their common lineage, it is said, back to two brothers who, in escaping from the authorities after committing a crime, changed their last names and then survived. And the article goes on to say, if you throw a stone from the top of Mount Nam, it is bound to hit one of those people, members of the three biggest clans, said Kwok Bai Hee, a lawyer with the Korea Legal Aid Center for Family Relations. So this was all like really enlightening to me. According to another article in International Business Times, on the whole, according to various accounts, there are no more than about 250 surnames currently in use in Korea. In contrast, in Japan and the Netherlands, there are more than 100,000 active surnames in each society. So Korea's paucity of surnames and the heavy concentration of a handful of those surnames are linked to the peninsula's long feudal history and its complex relationships with aggressive neighbors, China and Japan. I mean, this is fascinating to me because it started out as an incest thing because there were so few, you know, so few names and so few clans. But then it also turned into this sort of aristocracy type thing as well because your name denoted what clan you were from, which meant everybody knew your status as well. Where, I mean, like, that just boggles my mind. Like, when I think of the sort of 400 students in my school, and the only people that have the same last names are brothers and sisters, other than, like, you know what I mean? Like, there's no, there's no, like, oh my gosh, you have, you're Pine too? Like, isn't that funny? Haha. <laughs> like, you just, you don't find that. So that was really, so I was like, I don't, why can't they get married if they have the same last name? Like, I didn't get it. And now I do. And that was really fascinating to me. Maybe I shouldn't admit this, but. <laughs> but I it married my real... cousin. No, on <laughs> my. your cousin. On my dad's side, there was a time where my family tree did not fork. Um... <laughs> <laughs> okay, I need, I do need to know more. Yeah, yeah so, um, like distant cousins about this oak trunk distant cousins with the same last name married each other i mean i'm gonna assume they weren't blood related we're not really sure my dad's last name is a little i don't know it's a little sketchy around here but yeah that happened and it's not you know a point of pride (laughs) (laughs) maybe that's maybe that's why you haven't hit that five foot maybe that's what's wrong with me because i have incest blood in my incest blood in you i mean i think we can agree that humanity as a whole barring you know certain maybe egyptian royalty you know there have been times where brother and sister marriages were common to you know to keep that that blood together but overall i'd say an incest taboo is is a relatively common absolutely goal absolutely in society but yeah, I do think yeah, when you when you're dealing with 200 surnames. Yeah. And you, I didn't I didn't realize that. I didn't realize that like wow. And the other thing is that towards the end of the drama, I think it ends around 93, 94. Is that correct? Yes. And so when we have characters who are wanting to marry and be happy and live out. I remember there's a time there's a line too where one of the characters says something to the effect of the law's about to change. Like it's changing any second. Right. And it actually doesn't. It goes on for another couple of a few years. Another chunk yeah. of years. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, yeah, I didn't I didn't know about the the small pool of names and it I mean it all makes sense. The isolation of the peninsula and, you know, where we've got, you know, in in the West we've got people flooding in here yeah. from all over the place. I was going to say, we're a, we're a melting pot. And yeah. the thing that's interesting, too, is that, you know, last names changed as well at Ellis Island. So oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. My, so it could have been, there could be relatives, but the names were just changed differently. Right. There's a record of like Neil's great, great grandparents or whatever, when they arrived in Ellis Island and they have like the, the name change, that's where you can see the, how they changed the, the spelling 
of the last name. They added a K to, to then, Erickson. Yeah, just get on and fuck your cousin. <laughs> You're like, hey, my That's apparently is what my family I'm Erickson did. with a K. I'm Erickson without a K. All right, let's do it. Let's do it. Well, let's I don't do want to Gra- smear. Grandma, grandma, we're going to go up to the attic. I do not want to smear the Erickson name, okay? They they didn't they didn't do the incest. Smear is-, is for your bagel. <laughs> Smear oh, right. is See, what you're going for there's here. There's the in- incest blood. I just can't. <laughs> I can't grow and I can't talk. Talk. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, incest. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks a lot. Hashtag thanks, incest. <laughs> I want to get making a shirt now that just says thanks, incest. <laughs> Every time I make a mistake, that's what it's going to just gonna... Thanks. Thanks, thanks incest. incest. <laughs> All right. Well, that was that's a, quite a note to you know wrap up our fun facts with. Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh huh. Megan's incest blood. Yeah. <laughs> we really hope that you enjoyed our. I have questions about Reply nineteen eighty eight. Obviously, there's many questions that many of you would have and so you know we welcome you to find some answers and let us know and we also do acknowledge like we said before that this is a very very meaty drama we were never going to be able to talk about every aspect of it but you can always slide into our dms where i will be happy to chat about all the secondary characters we didn't get to touch (laughs) on various plot points i really just love this drama and i do really 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 encourage someone who's sitting at home who would love to take up a hobby doing podcasting to do a whole podcast just on on this drama unpacking reply we will subscribe we will talk about you yeah i just want to also say that all of our questions that we have and all of the research that we did, this comes from a place of appreciation and we hope that it sounds like it comes from a place of appreciation and that we're not pointing the finger or passing judgment. This is just stuff that we were curious about that we want to know and now we're happy that we do because it helps us appreciate the drama even more. Yeah. I, I, I Something agree. else I appreciate is that Pakbo Gum has completed his military Yay. service and is back out in civilian land so we can be just very happy to see more and i'm wondering like i don't really know what the military glow up's gonna do oh, i can't wait he's he i mean he already brightens the world with his smile yeah. so right it can only go up from there but the military like there is something yeah i know true about that military glow up mm-hmm. and i know you it know. hit park young sick like a truck <laughs> oh it did it really did i mean he went from boy to man oh. overnight overnight kong ha Newell, hello yes like he was cute and airs showed up to camellia a whole yeah. man with the drone big drone energy oh big drone energy yeah so okay well what are we all watching i'm going to just share what i've been watching because i feel as if i i have a slight shame that i am still watching our beloved summer i have so am i though so am i, <laughs> I have never watched a drama this slow in all of my life and i'm loving it so it's this thing where i'm just I got to watch more drama and I just have been not. <laughs> and so it's time to crank it out. I've got one and a half episodes left. Choi Wushik is my boy. I love him so much. He is lovely. I will say for me, it's not that I'm watching it solely. I just, I got off the wagon because I went out of town and then came back and I'm playing catch up. And so I'm just, I'm just getting back into it. But I will say that I have added to my drama watching. I am reading Pachinko. Yay! So I am gearing up. I am reading it. Well, I'm listening to it. I've got the audio of it and I love it. So I'm excited. What, what so chapter are you on or where are you? Pachinko dropping. Oh, like good. seven. I, I posted in the Patreon. I, po- oh, I answered okay. a question yes. in the Patreon. So in our Patreon, we yeah. are doing a Pachinko book club. Just amping up for March 25th when Pachinko is dropping on Apple TV very excited about this. Yeah, I'm already far enough that I'm very conflicted about my bae in his white suit. Oh, man. Very yeah, much even conflicted. Is, yeah. Oof. I'm not sorry yet, but the book is like staring. I can see it. It's like staring at me on my bookshelf. Right. And I will start it soon. It's good. And the narration is the oh, narration. So, Megan, it is too. time now for you to dust us all with your outstanding K-drama achievements. Yeah, I can't even believe it. So I watched Mr. Sunshine. And look, if you follow our Instagram, which if you don't, like, fix it. What are you even doing with your Like, what are you doing? Because our Instagram is lit. (laughs) It's bananas. It's bananas. (laughs) It broke me emotionally. I honestly, like, 
It probably was not healthy to watch it as fast as I did because I think I got so immersed in what was happening that dragging myself out from like the undertow of Mr. Sunshine was a lot. I did it too, though. I just jumped in and drowned. Yeah, and I yeah I did I, I just drowned in it, and it was I, I oh my god I have been so like emotionally affected by this. So I was a history minor in college. I've always loved history, and so watching Mr. Sunshine which has direct correlation to real events. And so I would often like pause it and then I'd like Google like crazy about the history, you know, of Korea that I had not been up to date on. (laughs) or I had not been, I did not have all the knowledge on and it was just a lot. Like I just, (sighs) I'm so glad I watched it, but I will tell you it, I, there there were, there was, there were a couple moments there where where I would message Leah and I'm like, I'm suffering. Like this is just, I realize the characters are suffering and the real people suffered way more than me, but it's about me right now. <laughs> I'm suffering. But it was a really tricky time because I was in Yosemite and my yeah, inter- thanks. my internet thanks. was intermittent at best. And so, so I would just get yeah. these like Megan, like, are you even there? Do you even yeah, I'm like I'm like freaking <laughs> out, but it's okay. I I'm so glad I watched it. It meant a lot. And to those of you on Instagram, you know who you are that were there for me. (laughs) (laughs) You know who you are. Because I kind of needed to process a couple things. And a bunch of you reached out. And during those times, you only saw one pair of footprints. It was them carrying you. (laughs) Stop it. Stop it. So yeah, it was just, I just want to say yeah, thank you for supporting me. But anyway, so that, after that was over, I did not know what I was going to do. So I, I needed to go like 180 and I started Business Proposal on Netflix. I heard some buzz about it on uh, Twitter and it just sounded up my alley. Like it sounded, it said that it was funny, almost silly. And I watched the first episode and I was like, oh God, this is great. Like this actually helps me so much. This is so different from Mr. Sunshine. I just want to say that the hero is very much Park So Joon from What's Wrong With Secretary Kim. Like it's very close to the same character. He's like, I'm perfect. Why would you not want to marry me? Like he is like, (laughs) you know, extremely attractive, kind of closed off, all about business. Anyway, I'm really looking forward to seeing how it goes. I'm also watching 2521. I'm a little behind, but uh, that's also currently airing. And, but I love, like, I'm obsessed so far, but I could, like, I had to watch Kim Tae-ri and Mr. Sunshine and, like, see her journey there before I could, like, finish her journey (laughs) or continue with her journey in 2521. Because they're obviously completely different characters. And then I'm also going to start Military Prosecutor Doberman with my bae An Bo Hyun. Thanks again to everyone who sent An Bo Hyun eye candy today for my birthday. That Man was, flesh. Uh, that was lovely. Thank you on Instagram. So yeah, that's a much better note to end on than yeah. Incest, so, so except anyway, so that's what, except you we'll just end on An Bo Hyun. Well, no, we're gonna end on An Bo Hyun, who does not have candy. incest blood. There's no way. <laughs> Thanks, incest. <laughs> Thanks, incest. And thank you all for listening. Annyeong! Kamsamnida! Thank you for listening to Afternoon of Delight. Where can you find us outside the pod? Head on over to afternoonadelight.com. That's A F T E R N O O N A D E L I G H T. Com. You'll find links to all our social media, our book recs, K-pop and K-skincare recs, and if you want even more Afternoon of Delight, because really who doesn't, you can join our Patreon, where you can choose the patron level that's right for you. Join in daily K-drama conversations, listen to bonus podcast episodes just for patrons, and participate in our monthly live K-drama support group via Zoom. We can't wait for you to be a part of the community. Until next time, Annyeong!